0: 15, 21 through 28. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. Then his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, "O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Do this and you will live, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor?
1: Well read, and this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you all so much fourth in a series on covenanting to be community together. We've talked about covenanting together to be unified, uh, to be real, to be open. This morning we're talking about covenanting to being bridgers for and with one another. And we're going to do this. It went over very well in the first service. I was especially impressed with the choir. They just got after this. I thought they were going to remain up there. All stiff like they were hit with hairspray. But no, they got into this more than anybody, and I was very, very impressed. It's a scary group back there. And it was wonderful. This is what I want you to do. I want everybody to stand up. We're going to exercise community here. Now, this is what I want you to do. Now, don't, don't start until I've completed the instructions. I want you to go look for somebody who you don't know or, or with whom you've never spoken. Okay? Find somebody like that. At the least, if you just happen to know everybody, which would be kind of shocking, actually, but just find somebody you've never had a meal with. But ideally, it should be someone you do not know, you've never met, or have never spoken with them, but as you go to that person, I want you to count the number of steps it takes to get there. It'll be a little awkward because you're looking down and looking up, I know, but I want you to count the number of steps it takes to go To that person, just greet them saying, Hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm so-and-so, where are you from? Fine. And then you can go back and sit down. Don't feel rushed, though. You ready? Go. (laughs) Count your... All right, all right, enough already. And chaos ensued. Now, as you're finding your way back to sit down, and by the way, we're not finished, you know, don't depart in peace yet. Now, I'd be really interested to know and compare this to the first service too. For how many of y'all did you find someone in 50 steps or less that somebody you didn't know? Okay, most everybody. Okay, 40 steps or less. Wow. Let's go down to 20 steps or less. Oh, 15 steps or less. God, okay, 10 steps or less. Five steps or less. Okay, literally, less than five steps, raise your hand. Okay, and I, Ray Pierce got me on this one because he, he didn't have to move. Zero steps, anybody? Unbelievable, that's so cool. And you're thinking, oh, what's wrong with this? No, that's great, that's great. Now, the average person takes about 10,000 steps a day. In your average lifetime, that's four times around the planet. But isn't it amazing where all it takes is a few steps or no steps at all just to meet someone new and establish community with them? And it might have felt a little weird and awkward and all that. That's okay. You're at least beginning to establish community and, and express that in a wonderful way that I would call being a bridger. And, and again, you're creating yourself and becoming a bridge toward that other person. And community happened just a few minutes ago. Now, what we just did, I just thought about this... Uh, This morning I thought, you know, to me what you just did is kind of like a prelude to heaven. Because I think, in a way, it's kind of like a joyful reunion among brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's a reunion with people who have never met, but they just have that same bond in Christ. And I just think heaven's going to be that way. You're just kind of walking around, hey, when did you get up here? Oh, 2005. Oh, I was 1692. Hey, I was 1650, same century, you know, that kind of thing. I just think heaven is going to be that way. But well, let's go back to our century here and to Robert Putnam and other sociologists who say that there are two basic ways that human beings connect. One is bonding, the other is bridging. And I'll give the definition here. Bonding happens when people who perceive themselves to be similar develop deeper connections. They're similar in age, personality, ethnic group, economic status. But bridging happens when people who perceive themselves to be different and separate intentionally linked Together. And it could be people who just don't know each other, and there could be different factors or barriers that keep them from doing that, anything from racial, you know, economic issues, or it can just be simply a lack of comfort with that. So bonding, more or less, is inward-looking in a way. It's not a bad thing, uh, but bonding is inward-looking, but there's also that critical process of bridging, which is outward-looking. And so to be the community of Christ that God wants us to be, first of all, we've got to be bridges, obviously, to people outside the church. And Jesus teaches us this with the story with a Canaanite woman whose, whose daughter he eventually heals. But really, what's the point of that? And I've said this so many times. Whenever Jesus performs a miracle, he creates a situation for a teachable moment. And he's doing that with the disciples right here. Here's a Canaanite woman. And no doubt there are barriers between her and Jesus that would be perceived by anybody. She was from the area of Phoenicia where Tyre and Sidon were. Now, you've got to understand, you had the Jews in Israel... You had these pagan Gentiles in Phoenicia, Tyre and Sidon. And the people of Tyre were more hated by Jews than anyone. Look up Josephus, the first century historian. He said the people of Tyre are our bitterest enemy. So there are already these barriers between Jesus and this woman. She was also a woman. Jesus is perceived as a rabbi. A woman should never approach a rabbi that way. And yet she dares to do so. She overcomes that barrier as well as a bridger. And there's just the ethnic difference between Jew and Gentile again. But this Canaanite woman was amazing. Now, she, she cries out to Jesus for help, and he doesn't respond immediately. And the disciples jump in and love that. And they go up to Jesus and say, yeah, send her away. She's bothering us, which I love that. She's not even talking to them, but they're kind of lumping themselves in this cool clique that Jesus leads, right? She's bothering all of us, isn't she? And Jesus even kind of presses her on this. He says, well, you know, I I thought I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. What Jesus is saying is, you know, I'm just here for the Jews. Now, does he mean that? No. He's setting up a teachable moment, and the disciples just still don't get it yet. But what I think is so interesting is that while the disciples are actually putting up barriers to this woman, she is being a bridger. Study the passage. She refers to Jesus three times as Lord, it, it was, and she did not know him as Lord at that moment. She was addressing him very, very respectfully in a way that a Phoenician would never address an Israelite. But she calls him Lord, which in that day means master or sir. It's, it's just a, word of, a term of great respect. Not only that, she calls him son of David, which a Phoenician just does not do. There's no respect between these people. But she is transcending the culture and calling him son of David out of respect for his culture, his tradition, his people group. So it's just so interesting. While the disciples are just putting up all these barriers, she's being the bridger. And ultimately Jesus is so impressed with that, that the woman is praised for her faith and the daughter is healed. And he's teaching us in this story to be Bridgers, to build bridges to one another. And again, just like we did just a moment ago. Now, wait a minute. For how many of y'all was it less than five steps? Five steps or less. Five steps. You know, sometimes all it takes is walking across the room. Have you ever heard of this book entitled, Just Walk Across the Room? A guy named Bill Hybels wrote it, the guy at Willow Creek Church. And he wrote that book simply because he met a guy who was a Muslim who became a Christian. And he asked him, how did you become a Christian? He said, I was at a get-together, a gathering, a social function. And I saw this group of gentlemen who who clearly were good friends, had known each other for years, and they just had that, you know, uh, inside language and banter and everything, inside jokes. But one guy broke out of that clique, out of that group, and walked over to me, and we started a friendship. He just introduced himself, and we started a friendship. And out of that friendship, over the course of weeks, he introduced me to the gospel, and it's because of that that I became a Christ follower, just because someone walked across the room. And you and I can do that with one another, and it makes a difference. It can make an even bigger difference as we go outside of our comfort zone here. Uh, Ricky Miss Kelly is here, newly ordained deacon over here. I asked him just this past week, how many steps is it from the property where your company is, uh, close to downtown down there, how far is it from there to True Vine Church's old property when they were there? And he said, if you put, and, and be my truth squad over here, Ricky, you said if you put your heels up against your building... It takes two steps, right? Where where are you? Two steps. And and what's amazing is, and you've heard, a lot of us have heard Ricky tell this story, that for a long time he had never interacted with, you know, True Vine, but then one day he took some, he took the two steps, then he took some extra steps and went up those steps and went in there. And out of all that became this friendship with Ralph Garth. How many of y'all know Ralph Garth now? He's sort of like family. And I mean, out of that, just taking a few steps that, that Ricky took and that Ralph took toward him. I mean, it changed Ricky's life. It changed Ralph's life. Ralph was here for Ricky's ordination, everybody else's ordination. It changed the life of True Vine Church. And we've been able to do some great things for them. But, but they have blessed us, every bit as much or more. Isn't that fair to say? I mean, it has changed Brookwood because of that, because somebody in this church took a few steps. And we've all just been transformed by that. Sometimes that is all, all it takes. And again, even in Ricky... In Ralph's situation, that overcame some barriers, whether it's ethnic or the way people worship, which was obviously different, Uh, the way people were denominationally different, economically different, but it didn't get in the way. Just amazing stuff. What it takes just to be a bridger and the amazing difference that that makes. And you might say, well, there's really, you know, sometimes we might not think that really much happens as a result of that. I always think of (laughs) Mother Teresa's wonderful quote when she says, You cannot, we can do no great thing, only small things with great love we can do no great thing only small things with great love but i think when we begin those small steps of love you just let the sovereign spirit of god do his work and amazing things occur it just takes a few steps so obviously we need to step outside of our comfort zone in in you know to other places outside the church okay we've got that but but let me let me get it more specific to you and me just as we did a few moments ago, to be the community that God wants us to be. He wants us to be bridgers, take a few steps, even within this church, with one another as we did just a few moments ago. Now, now, becoming community with a church can be awkward, especially if you're the new person, and it might not be easy. A good friend of mine is named Randall O'Brien. He's now the president of Carson Newman College. Anybody heard of Carson Newman College? It's in uh, East Tennessee. It's a wonderful school. My wife is an alum. Randall's a great guy. Before he was there he was provost at Baylor University and just a great guy, brilliant guy. But years before he was a professor at Washita Baptist University in Arkansas whose president was who? Anybody know? Rowdy Andy Westmoreland. And, uh, but he was there and, and was teaching and uh, he would interim pastor a lot which is what I used to do before I came teaching pastor. He would interim pastor churches and he had just gotten to an interim pastorate in DeWitt, Arkansas. And he really wanted to p- become a part of the community, but it was kind of awkward. And there were two lay people in that church, two deacons in the church who said, You know, last Sunday was his first Sunday. You know what we need to do? We need to invite him to go duck hunting this next weekend. And that's what they did. Do we have any duck hunters in here? Where's Glenn yeah, we got duck hunters. Okay. Do I see some women raised their... Okay, well, I'll, okay, great. And, uh, but they decided to take him duck hunting. And they wound up in what he called a dingy duck motel where you stay before you get up the next morning and go duck hunting, and I'm just going to, I just love that this happened to a a college president, but uh, he went with a guy named Ray Baxter and Gary Arnold, okay, and I'll just pick up here, he said, Arnold and I, by necessity, are sharing a bed, a small bed, a very small bed, awkwardly like hanging off the side so as not to touch legs in the middle and stuff, okay, this is second weekend with him, fast forward the tape, stop, push, play, See Randall awakening before dawn. See Randall's eyes become the size of hula hoops. See him eat his pillow to muffle the scream. Yikes! How to get out of this without waking Arnold? Can you believe this? How long has my leg been over him like this? (laughs) What if he wakes up? I'm ruined. Got to be very, very careful here. Easy does it. Nice and easy. Slowly I lift my leg, ever so slowly. Gradually I lift my... Good morning, preacher. <laughs> and he closes it with, uh-oh. He uh, titled this, so this was the last time I went duck hunting. Well, sometimes establishing community can be awkward in that way. Uh, and he learned the hard way. But again, it's something we need to do, even if it's a bit awkward sometimes, in order to deepen community. And again, what it really does for us when we do that, it really expands and deepens our capacity for love. And I know that sounds very, very surfacy, but that's indeed what it is. Uh, it was read wonderfully a moment ago at uh, the beginning of, 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 of the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's really just before Jesus launches into the parable of the Good Samaritan. How does Jesus set this up? How does he set up this teachable moment? You remember what happens? A lawyer goes up to him and says, a teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of throws it back on him. Well, you know the law. What does it say? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And it says there to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, good answer, good answer. But then there's that fabulous verse that sometimes we overlook. It says, but wanting to justify himself, he asked, and who is my neighbor? Very important verse that we sometimes overlook. But wanting to justify himself, he asked, And who is my neighbor? Now, what is this law you're wanting to justify? What's he wanting to justify? What is it that makes Jesus launch into the parable of the good Samaritan all about, hey, this Samaritan, this person who's the least person you would want to be a neighbor to, in a way like the Canaanite woman who Jesus built bridges to and she built bridges to him. He's wanting to justify what when he says, who is my neighbor? He's wanting to justify what the limitation of his love. He doesn't mind bonding with people who are like him and like his ilk and who see things as he does and who's from a similar background as he is, from the same ethnicity, same political persuasion, whatever it might be. But no, he's got to expand that and be a bridger. That's why Jesus tells the story But But let's just ask ourselves that question. We might want to demonize the lawyer in that. Don't you and I struggle sometimes with the same thing? Don't we want to limit our love and somehow justify it? Oh, well, she's a little bit different. Oh, he's a little hard to get along with. Well, I just don't know about those people. And we can even be that way within the confines of a church when really they're not even these ethnic barriers or economic barriers or political barriers so much as what? Well, I just don't know if I have the time or the energy. You know, I have my own little bubble where I walk around in, you know, and and it's pretty hard, hard on the outer surface. And, you know, I just don't want to have to interact with a whole lot of people. That takes time and effort, and energy, and it's a little bit awkward sometimes. Yes, and Jesus says, yes, and go and do that. (laughs) Go and do likewise. That's what he's saying. You know, have we been guilty of that? Now, and again, it's one thing to be friendly. It's another thing to to engage in a way that you're committed to being friends. You can be a friendly church. Uh, Somebody just described Brookwood (laughs) this past week to me as sunny. You're such a sunny church. I like being sunny. Sunny's great. Um, and we're a friendly church now. We've got to just gauge that and keep an eye on that. Are all churches who think they're friendly friendly? Not always. I love the story that Fred Craddock told when he was preaching outside of Atlanta in a church for four nights. And the pastor was bragging the whole time he was there about how friendly. It's the friendliest church you will ever be a part of. And sure enough, at the beginning of each of the services, he would say, let's all get up and greet one another. Kind of like what we did. Get up and greet one another and all that. But... You know, Craddock and his wife, who was in the, the, uh, in the audience, kept noticing each night. They were just kind of going to the same people every time. And uh, the last night, the pastor of that church that was so friendly took the Craddocks out to dinner. And he said, now, I've got to ask you, aren't we the friendliest church you've ever seen? And Nettie, his wife, said, well, no, not really. He said, what do you mean? Didn't you see how friendly we were? She said, yeah, I saw that, but, but I was there for four nights, and not one person spoke to me. And there was this very, you know, uncomfortable (laughs) lull in the conversation. He said, are you sure not one person spoke to you? And she said, not one person. And you know what he said? He said, oh, well, that's because they don't know who you are. (laughs) Okay. But I think we're a friendly church. But could we be an even better church of friends, of genuine friends, authentic friends? Friends, you know, because we don't even have the barriers uh, that, that, that sometimes we have to deal with out there in the world so much. Again, it's more time and energy and sometimes awkwardness a little bit. But sometimes all you got to do is walk a little. <laughs> it reminds me, I actually walk literally on Saturday mornings. There's a group here, as you know, that does body, mind, and soul that Dave Thomas and Bill Watt. And I'm, it's in a commercial. I'm just saying this has been a wonderful time for me to go walking around the track at Mount Brook High School on Saturday mornings at 8 when it's 40 degrees or above, that's my standard, okay, I know, I'm not there every Saturday, at least as of late, but it's been so cool, it's been so cool to do, Uh, is Skip here, Skip's not here today, is he, Skip Gilbert, okay, that's okay, Uh, but it's so cool, you know, I didn't know that his mom was the leading television personality in Wilmington growing up, how many of y'all knew that, I mean, yeah, a few of us, okay, well, you knew, oh, Lauren, there you are, you knew that, because that's Skip's daughter. Uh, but I've learned so many other cool things I learned that, that Diane Wadd was going to be uh, running in this, this uh, 10k thing From village to village And what was so cool, I was so proud of her She placed first You know the story? She, she was first placed in, in her age group She was the only one in that age group But she was first And I uh, very proud of her But that has been so cool Just to be in a different context from this building And getting to know people in that way um, you know, not to glorify my wife, but, but uh, you know, she, she helps with a group, you know, of, of young single women who are just utterly amazing uh, women. And, and, and they go through this Beth Moore stuff, and it's just so cool and to, to see how they have grown together. There are so many other groups like that here. Uh, the coffee drinking group, you know, the men that meet on, what is the Thursdays? Is that right? Oh, Fridays. Yeah, I haven't been there in years. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Other groups like that, and it's just so cool to have those outside of here. I think of, uh, how many of y'all have done thanks gatherings around Thanksgiving? Those are so cool. I mean, you, you share this meal with people you don't ordinarily see a lot of the time, and you get to interact with them that way, and then there's a wonderful worship time. Those are always wonderful. Uh, this year, the way, Keith and I are going to fashion, uh, Passion Week, Monday Thursday service is actually going to be in homes, and you'll find out more about that later. Then we'll have a church-wide uh, Good Friday service. And we're just really good with that stuff. And we're obviously, this year, going to have more, you know, a big event kind of things where we we can all gather together. But that stuff is so important where you can see each other face to face and it's not always the back of somebody's head. I just think that's so important. Why is all this so important? Is it just, again, like I said the other week, just so we can have Oprah moments and, hey, I love you, man, kind of stuff? No, it's much deeper than that. The love that we share and expand and deepen is the most powerful witness for the gospel that there is. That's just the truth. What, what, did, what did Jesus say? This is from the mouth of Jesus in John thirteen thirty five. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you, can anybody fill in the blank, that you what? Love one another. <laughs> he said that's the primary means. It doesn't have to do with evangelistic strategies. It doesn't ma- matter, you know, so much about uh, what kind of style of worship it is, how qualitative it is. You know, it doesn't matter, uh, uh, you know, how much you have in the budget. It doesn't matter this or that. It's how much you love one another. How deeply, how qualitatively you do. Again, I think of a Tertullian, the great church uh, father, uh, who in the early centuries quoted that pagan official who said, "You know, the pagans are awestruck. See how these Christians love one another." And he he said he was really saying that's what distinguishes them. That's what makes them stand out among all other people groups. How they love one another. Can people see that with you and me here? at Brookwood. And I can't help but wonder how open are we to the nudgings, the whisperings of the Spirit when, are, are there times when you know that God wants you to maybe take a step in the direction of this person and at least just offer a few kind words or words of welcome, greeting, whatever it might be. And, and you don't quite get to that point, but you know that the Spirit is whispering those things to you. A, a minute ago, I, a human being, had you stand up and go do something, and there was even awkwardness to it for, for some of you but nevertheless you did it but how all the more do we need to be attuned to what the spirit would have us do who the spirit wants us to go see and are we trusting those words and acting on them i just think it's cool whenever we can have these you know opportunities where we're not again looking at the back of heads but but but, you know, enjoying, one it, it, it could be a meal. I've always loved Acts 2.46, which describes the early church. They worshiped together regularly at the temple each day, met in small groups for communion, and shared their meals with great joy. Now, looking at the back of each other, I thought it was cool when we had the first deacons meeting this go-around. Price intentionally had the room fashioned to where we were sitting in a circle. And I think that in and of itself really reflected this whole uh, theme of community and looking at one another. It didn't have very much of, as much of a meeting feel uh, so much as, as, as a, you know, a, a fellowship, kind of brotherhood-ish kind of, kind of feel, which I thought was very, very cool. But whenever we can do those things like that, we can learn what it means to be bridges and not limit our love, even with one another, but even deepen it and expand it. Now, I know given all of this, I know what's on your mind at the moment. You know, with the culmination of the sermon, as I bring it to a close, what's really on your mind is the Super Bowl. I know that, Okay. No, but with that, uh, I hope you'll, as you're watching the Super Bowl, wait for the name Michael Orr to be mentioned, who's an offensive lineman for the Ravens. He's the basis of of a movie that was called what? The Blind Side. Okay, everybody knows. That's great. Very fine movie. Uh, Sandra Bullock plays uh, Leanne Tui in that, based on true story of Michael Orr. And I read an Associated Press article yesterday because they are down there in New Orleans for the Super Bowl. I mean, their son, their adopted son is in the Super Bowl. And they were interviewing Leanne Tui, the Sandra Bullock person, about uh, about this foundation that they have just started called uh, Making It Happen Foundation. And the purpose of it is this, to encourage people, listen to this, to take a few steps and see how they can help younger people who need a mentor, parent, figure, or friend. Just take a few steps. But I especially like the quote where she said this, and she was just speaking informally, but she said, to me, when I look at Michael, her adopted son, the only downside of it is you sit there and say, if someone as immensely talented as Michael Orr, whose society pretty much didn't value, almost falls through the cracks, can you imagine who else gets left behind? And she went on to say, so you sit there and ask, how many kids are out there that if given the chance can be a Michael Orr? And I so appreciate that. And and I thought, you know, how many more people are out there that if we gave them just the chance of friendship, of community, that they can be led to a living knowledge of the living Christ in their own life? I'd like for us to bow our heads and close our eyes and enter into a discipline of meditation. And I want you to do this if you would. And this sounds very simple, yet I hope in your mind you'll realize that it can be quite profound. I want you to commit... uh, that sometime in the next two weeks you will think of someone whether here in the church or in your neighborhood or at work wherever it might be that you will take a few steps toward that person and just establish a slightly wider and deeper sense of community with them doing that for the sake of that person but also for the sake of being on mission for christ because again it's by our love for one another and the love that we can show to others by our love for one another. That's what makes the big difference. That conveys the gospel more effectively than anything. So I just want to challenge you now. In the silence, will you just prayerfully, silently commit yourself to reaching out to someone in the next couple of weeks and establishing some level of community? You you choose. That's up to you. But just committing yourself to listening to the prompting of the Spirit and where the Spirit whispers you to go and to whom the Spirit whispers to you to go that you will commit to doing that. Will you do that right now? Commit to that. help us to find those subtle ways inside of us that we fool ourselves and rationalize our failure to reach out to people right around us, whether it's here, whether it's at work, at school, wherever it might be. Teach us to be bridgers, O God. Not simply bonding with people with whom we feel comfortable, but bridging over to others that we might deepen our witness of our love for you that others might see it and see that there is indeed something worth asking about something worth knowing about please help us to commit to that this day we pray these things in your name amen let's stand and sing our uh, closing song it's also a song of invitation if you feel led to, to move your membership here make a first time profession of faith in christ we invite you to do that